Good afternoon and welcome to this week's midweek meditation. Our scripture reading for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 to 14. And if you'd like, you can follow along with me in your own Bible. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have even seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am the Father, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, when the Revised Standard Version of the Bible was first published back in 1952, a pastor in North Carolina was so upset by this new translation that he gathered up all the copies he could find and had a public Bible burning. Now, what upset this pastor so much was that while the King James Version of John 14, 2 says, In my Father's house there are many mansions, the Revised Standard Version translated, In my Father's house are many rooms. And this North Carolina pastor was infuriated at, as he said, the cheapskates who translated the Revised Standard Version. He said that he'd been promised a mansion in the sky in the King James Version, and nobody was going to cheat him out of it. And on one level, I can appreciate his sentiment. I do sort of miss the old word mansions myself. It took me a while to get used to using the newer version in conducting worship services. I finally made the switch to the newer version because I stopped and tried to visualize what a house with many mansions inside of it would look like. Now, I can picture a house that is a mansion, and I can picture a community of mansions, but I really can't picture a house that has many mansions inside of it. And my fondness for that older translation was really based on familiarity and sentimentality rather than thought. And I came to believe that this was another case of our putting our minds into neutral and our tongues into high gear and just reciting words without really considering their meaning. The problem is that we're not sure just how to translate Jesus' words on this occasion. Now, the old Latin translations rendered the word mansio, a halting place, a way station, hence our English mansion. Presbyterians call their parsonages the manse, and British Methodists use the word in the same way. But none of these are quite what we mean by the word mansion today. 
After all, English words change their meaning. It said that when someone first viewed Sir Christopher Wren's masterpiece, St. Paul's Cathedral in London, he said it was awful and artificial. What he meant is that it was awe-inspiring and full of artifice. He was saying good things about it, not critiquing the architect. So, mansion, which originally meant a dwelling place, came to mean a governor's residence. The New Revised Standard Version says, In my father's house there are many dwelling places. And that's probably pretty close to the original meaning. The Greek word is monai. And William Barclay, the great Bible scholar in his Daily Study Bible Commentary series, has done about as good a job as anyone in giving us the options available as we try to translate the word. He notes that in the time of Jesus, many Jews believed that in heaven there were ranks of blessedness which would be given to persons according to their goodness upon the earth. He quotes the apocryphal book of Enoch, where it said, In the world to come there are many mansions prepared for men, good for good, evil for evil. In that picture we might liken heaven to a vast palace in which there are many different rooms, and to each there is appointed a room such as one's life on earth merited. Or to use another image, some folks get first class or deluxe rooms, while others are stuck in the economy rooms. The main problem with that picture is that it flies in the face of the gospel message, which proclaims that our standing with God doesn't depend on our merit, but rather upon God's grace. And if in such a palace or hotel any of us wound up in the servants' quarters, I have a hunch that we would find Jesus there as well. It's fascinating to see how other writers have interpreted this word over the centuries. There was a Greek writer around 470 BC who said that monai means stages on the way. The Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, assumed that it was just what Jesus was talking about, and he translated Jesus' words as, in my Father's house there are many resting places. And if that's the correct meaning, then perhaps even in heaven there's progress and development. Heaven may not be a static existence, as so many of us believe. In fact, many early Christian thinkers believe that. The writer to the letter of Hebrews, or the letter of Hebrews in the fourth chapter, speaks of Jesus going through the heavens. The ancient thinker, theologian Clement of Alexandria, believed that there were degrees of glory in heaven. The founder of Methodism, John Wesley, believed that the souls of the unbaptized would go to a place called paradise where they would then learn about Christ and then later move on to heaven. The British Methodist, Leslie Weatherhead, was much attracted to this notion of progress and growth even after death. And really, who can say that he was wrong? I have to confess, though, that the notion of a heaven that is static is not very appealing to me. I can imagine getting pretty bored with playing the harp after the first thousand years or so. You know, there's an old story of a man who died and awakened to find himself resting comfortably in a hammock, doing nothing. When he tried to get up and get a lemonade, a servant told him to sit still and the lemonade would be brought to him. And then he thought he might get up and do some gardening, a hobby that he had always enjoyed. But again, another servant told him that the gardening was all being done for him. And then he tried to play a game of golf, only to be told the servants would do it for him. Exasperated, he said, well, if I can't do anything, what is heaven for? And the reply came back, oh, sir, you're not in heaven. A place without growth or movement or challenge wouldn't be heaven. In fact, it might be hell. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. We might stop and rest a while in one of them, but I have the idea that we move on to greater glory. I think this is a pretty helpful idea because it answers a, a pretty enduring question. 
What is God, God going to do with those who've sinned and fallen short, and who might not feel comfortable in heaven immediately? This idea of correct means that we have an infinite number of chances with God. Jesus said that the good shepherd searched after the one lost sheep until he found him. I've often wondered, how long is until? Does this mean universalism, the idea that God will ultimately get everybody? I don't know. I hope so, but I simply don't know. I only know that because of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have no desire to put any limitations on God's love, on this side of eternity or the other. Most Christians in most centuries have believed that there is some opportunity for growth and change, even after death. Perhaps we've made all of this too complicated. Perhaps Jesus' meaning is quite simple. In the Father's house, there's room for all. You know, earthly houses become overcrowded. Earthly inns sometimes turn weary travelers away, as Jesus himself learned early in his life. But not so with the Father's house. Heaven is as wide as the heart of God is wide, and it's open to all. The important thing here is that Jesus' words are not about architecture, but about God's grace. Whatever this passage means, one thing runs through it all. Life goes on with God after death. We don't know much about that life. It's not really our place to know it, at least right now. The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr once said that he didn't know much about either heaven or hell, the furniture of one or the temperature of the other. Well, neither do I, but I do believe that we can trust in God's grace for whatever the future holds for us, just as we have trusted it for the past. You know, Jesus didn't argue. He merely assumed that life goes on with God, even after we pass the, through the portal or the door we call death. To a dying revolutionary on the cross next to him, he didn't say, you know, I think we'll meet again, brother. And he didn't, he, nor did he say, there's a chance that we'll meet again. That's not what he said. He said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. If Jesus wasn't sure, that would have been a pretty cruel and dishonest thing to say. But if Jesus was sure, but Jesus was sure, because he was sure and confident in the eternal love of God that will not let us go. As that great British Methodist Leslie Weatherhead said, if he does not know, then no one does. And I agree with that. This is his area of expertise. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. In other words, Jesus is saying, would I lie to you? And down through the Christian centuries, millions of followers of Jesus have replied, no, the Lord wouldn't lie to us about something that is so important. This is what Christians mean when we speak of Christian hope, not wishful thinking, nor believing what we know isn't so. It means trusting in the word of the one who's proven himself to be trustworthy over and over again. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you, said our Lord. 
William Temple spoke of Jesus as the guide, or interpreter, who goes with us on a journey, but then goes on ahead of us to make sure that everything is in readiness for our arrival. And we will arrive, said Jesus. Would I lie to you about something as important as that? It all depends upon the kind of God in whom we believe, doesn't it? It seems to me that we can't believe in the kind of God Jesus talked about and just have nothing at the end. Our faith is not based on wishful thinking, but rather on what we've come to know of the nature of God, as revealed in Jesus. We certainly don't trust in something as flimsy as our own immortality. That is a word from Greek philosophy, which implies that we have something eternal within us called a soul. The New Testament really speaks otherwise, not of a soul that is immortal, but of a God whose love will not let us go. If you and I live beyond this life, it is not because we are immortal, but because God is immortal and because God is love. Believe in God, said Jesus, believe also in me. In other words, believe in a God who is like Jesus. The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus is like God, but that God is like Jesus. And the gospel comes to us with the good news that we come from God and we go to God. And in between, we are to live in love, love with God and with one another. On this, we can bet our very lives. Jesus said, if it were not so, would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? For the past 21 centuries, followers of Jesus have answered the Lord's question with a resounding, no, you would not lie to us. That's the promise Jesus gave to us. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. There is room for you, there's room for me, and there's room for the loved ones that we have laid in the grave. There is room for all. Thanks be to God.